Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Andy. And, oh, you dropped the AP. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough with that. No one even knows what it is. Always changing it up. It was a reference to the best show, uh, AP Mike, the yeah, associate did, producer of the best show. I did not know that. But there's not a lot of overlap between <laughs> best show listeners and Antifada listeners. Yeah, well, we got the Sam Cedar connection. That's about it. So just Andy. All right. Maybe we'll um, get another AP. Fair, fair enough. Um, it makes me think about tests, which I dislike. So um, I'm glad that you dropped it. Um, and we're here with Jasmine Gibson and Max Fox, two editors of the new, excellent, exciting queer communist magazine, Pinko. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Thanks for being here. So I know Max from your days with the new inquiry. Yeah, that's And right. I know Jasmine as a communist poet, bon vivant. <laughs> and I never thought you would ever meet. No, that's not true. I mean, you were probably friends back then, too, as well. Huh. But I did not know you were working on this project together. So how did you get involved in it? And yeah, it just launched. So what's the details? What's the 411? So Pinko is a new magazine that we are launching. And it is a magazine uh, for gay communism or queer communism. We're really not particularly attached to one or the other. A political position that we believe a lot of people share, but nobody is really particularly clear on what it means yet. And one of the reasons why is that there's no public platform for working out uh, these concepts together in public. And so that's why we decided to start um, putting this out. Right. And Max invited me to uh, co-edit Pinko with like a variety of other people. Like Michelle O'Brien is one of the editors, and she's friend great. of the show. Michelle O'Brien, yeah. multiple time guest. Yeah, That's right. she's amazing. Um, and also with Lou Cornum, mm-hmm. also with Tiana Reed, Rami mm-hmm. Karim, Addison Walters. Yeah, um, Virgil. Virgil uh, Taylor. Virgil, Ta- excuse me, Virgil Taylor and J.B. Brager, essentially. That's the crew. Yeah. What is gay communism? What are we going to read about in Pinko? Yeah, and w- and where do you come down on uh, full automation and luxury? <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> and a good space. question. Right. Well, I'm against space. I don't <laughs> believe in it personally. Yeah, it's just space colonialism. This escapism from what Kapla has like created on the planet, and we don't need to destroy other planets and so other this life is forms. Terrestrial gay communism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for right now. I mean, unless <laughs> someone invited us to another planet. Sh- like, sure. <laughs> and that's know. the editorial line? Everybody? Agrees? Yeah, I mean, okay. on space. Decolonize sure. space. Um, yeah, but then on the automation stuff, I mean, we're not we're not sort of another colonial belief yeah we're we're not we're not these like we're, we don't have a lot of uh we believe in like just exuberance and kind of um pleasure to the hilt that is at the cost of destroying capitalism and white supremacy so maybe like a partially automated gay luxury terrestrial communism is what we're shooting for here um, I think that what we're shooting for is a um, world where people can get insulin, uh, a world where there isn't kids in cages, and a world where um, people can get hormone therapy uh, 
freely in a world where people aren't hungry. So I think that if that's automation, then sure. Um, but I mean, I'm not a primitivist or anything like that. I don't think anybody in Pinko is primitive. Um, so I think that it's just something where we have to like think of questions of how to live in a way where it's like not so much like, oh, we go backwards. To a weird past that doesn't exist, Um, but like forwards towards like a way where people can live like with all these like technological advances. Well, that was a very substantive answer to a somewhat silly question. So (laughs) good job, guys. So, um, in terms of Pinko, you want to describe your project a little bit and what you're trying to do with it, and also some of the things that are going to be in the first issue. One one aspect of our project is that we want to kind of resurrect an older tradition of critique that was present um, in the liberation era, um, which kind of was able to articulate these questions of sexual liberation in explicitly revolutionary terms um, that uh, for a number of reasons has kind of ceased to be the case. Um, uh, now questions of sexuality appear as if they're kind of consumer choices or identitarian um, kind of like, you know, extra market um, things. Um, and the fact is that all of these identities were political projects from the get-go, um, and they were political projects that were undertaken by revolutionaries who understood themselves to be, for example, in solidarity with the Panthers and with the Third World Liberation Movements. Um, so when you walk down Sixth Avenue mm-hmm. uh, during Pride Month, uh-huh. and every store has some sort of window display or signifier uh-huh. that they like gay. Uh-huh. A rainbow You're, boob mask, perhaps, at the bagel store. Just to use one random example of something <laughs> that I definitely don't have. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that in your luggage uh, when we were camping, and I, I thought that was just what you use all the Spider time. Spider my beauty routine. <laughs> That's how um, they look But so when good. you see that, uh-huh. you don't think we've won? <laughs> and let me get out my wallet and spend some money no <laughs> we think maybe a little no um yeah i think that it's something where it's like it absolutely is a loss gay liberation being commodified in this form um that we have not seen uh this kind of um presentation before is something where it's something that's really dark to like celebrate Um, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall um, in the form of come buy our t-shirt, we fucking hate you, die, kind of thing. So it's like just seeing that it's so dark and thinking about like kind of like how many um, gay, like homeless um, elders are like on the street and uh, like can't even get the like necessary resources to like live is just um demoralizing yeah i mean this is a kind of you'll this is a familiar critique but like the nypd marches in the pride parade at the end of the same month where they have arrested Laylene polanco and put her in Mm -hmm. uh solitary where she dies of whatever right so like and you don't need to be Mm -hmm. a special kind of like marxist theorist to figure out that it's hypocritical i've noticed this year um specifically this sort of critique specific or more specifically the uh like the marsha johnson and like the history of stonewall Mm -hmm. has also become sort of ingrained in the pink washing yeah like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like 
you know, yeah. a corporation will sponsor mm-hmm. a publication. Like, oh, the best example is at the those like internet kiosks that are ubiquitous right, in New York right. that have sometimes like little PSAs. Yeah, where it says like queer outcomes, and yeah, it has like exactly. And I think there was um, one for Marsha Johnson. Yeah. And it, it was one for Miss Major, um, and Miss Major almost died. Yeah, she just had a stroke. So it's just something. And people are like crowdfunding her care. Yeah, like the fact that that exists while like she exists in like one of these little kiosks um, is just yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, it's dark. Just enough time has passed that these these figures can be represented mm-hmm. as as having done something heroic, mm-hmm. and a riot can be represented mm-hmm. as having been heroic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. like, that's yeah, only as a way of way. making sure that nothing really changes because there's totally. enough yeah. distance to it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Until now. <laughs> well, it's like that's that kind right. of stuff gets framed in a way where it's like, oh my God, Stonewall was for us to, like, get married. And it's like, yeah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was, like, against the police and the state. Mm-hmm. So. But Pinko is not sponsored by. Uh, We're sponsored by Coles. By Captain Morgan <laughs> Rum or Lexus or Sephora, we're, we're see- please yeah. sponsor us. Yeah, so we're we seeking can get we're seeking a corporate backer. So yeah, yes. no, no, no. <laughs> drunk elephant. Attention, Doritos. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the what's the gay communist brand? What do you think wants to get behind that? Oh, that's mm-hmm. a good question. Yeah. Um, Arby's. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God! Could you imagine if like Fenty sponsored us? Oh Did Jesus! You get free Fenty. I can't imagine if mm. that happened. <laughs> <laughs> During Pride Month, I was going to the Fluid Clothing Store uh-huh. on, on uh, right. I think it's on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, every Friday, Fluid? they have these. It's like a P- non-binary H- L- uh, fashion yeah. thing, boutique or whatever, right? Yeah. I don't know what that is. It, it's like a, a gender non-conforming clothing label. Mm. So you, you know, the clothes are, they're just clothes for Ah. anybody. Mm. Uh, And yeah, lots of corporate sponsored free stuff Mm. all throughout Pride Month at that store. Right. So, you know, if one day Pinko got some (laughs) of that money, I wouldn't judge. (laughs) But for now, (laughs) you're taking the stand against Mm. it and you're crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes, we are. You just launched your Kickstarter campaign, correct? We did. We did launch our Kickstarter. Yeah, it looks incredible, Mm -hmm. I have to say. You should visit uh, kickstarter.com slash pinko. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. We'll put that in the show notes as well so that people know to go there and give you money. Awesome. So, um, And what do you get if you... That's what I was about to ask. kick some money to start your project. We have really cool merch... Uh, we have a really cool zine. We have we a have, beautiful zine. Yeah. Our that zine being the most important hot. part. Yeah. Um, we also have stickers. We So we have stickers of a burning cop car that's mm-hmm. made out of two emojis, mm-hmm. um, which you can uh, put up around your neighborhood. You can um, put it on your laptop. You perhaps. can put it on your laptop mm-hmm. or your, your phone case. Um, we have buttons of the same... Uh, burning cop car in an emoji, but it's in this mm-hmm. little like metal yeah. situation. I, oh, I think I saw bones. that. We were thinking of it. We were once we get the money. Once we this is our stretch goal. <laughs> if we get enough money, we can expand our range. We will of, get more extravagant. There yeah. will be pinko g strings. <laughs> well, oh, we, yeah. we are working on antifada poppers for our next. Oh, goal. oh my god! Damn could, it. could we do a co-brand? 
Hell yeah. Wow. Please. A, a, an Antifada Pinko collaboration. Wow. Especially yeah. if you know some chemists. Because <laughs> I read the DIY guide on how to make poppers. Oh, my God. And oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Um, <laughs> you just take the bottle and then you put your remember communist You won't remember what is what the bottle is anyway once you take it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I found out that drinking a bottle of poppers doesn't kill you the other day. Um, not I didn't do it. It was just a friend of mine. Um, you might throw up in a taxi, though. Yeah, it sounds oh, horrible. Man. But, you know, just in case anybody's wondering, it's like not a good idea to yeah. do it, but you'll be fine. Um, so I don't know if you know of this, this other podcast or if it's uh, like verboten to mention other podcasts on air, but depends which one it is. There's a, there's a, there's another podcast called bad gaze where that's mm-hmm. one of the, one of my friends uh, is uh, one of the hosts. And he wrote this really incredible book uh, chub. It's called chubs, the demonization of my working arse. And it's like, uh, it's like this really incredible um, parody of the, the Owen Jones book chavs. It's a, it's uh, about, okay. it's about, it's about Owen Jones during the the 2001 uh 2011 London riots. But one of the subplots <laughs> is that this Nigel Farage character is like addicted to poppers. Huh. Um and he like goes to great lengths to secure a supply of poppers um even though he's about to like shut down the borders or something. I'm probably misrepresenting <laughs> the story. But um, is it like one of those Amazon uh erotica novels that's like <laughs> very topical like Pounded in the butt. Pounded in the pound by the pound. Pounded by the pound. Exactly. Wow. That was a moment. That really. Yeah. No. He's. I mean. I think. I think it's like it's put out by this like this art publisher. It's actually Mm -hmm. kind of beautiful. But um, yeah. It is. It is basically a Chuck Tingle for the left. We gotta get get Tingle on the show. Oh, have we not thought of? I have his email address. We used to. He used to write a column for us at Death and Taxes. I was the point of contact, so I could definitely make that happen. Maybe Pinko should get on in oh, on this should. as well. Uh, my only popper story is that I made people do poppers at Thanksgiving dinner a few <laughs> years ago. Nice. Your yeah. family? Uh, no, it's friends. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Not family. Oh yeah. They so be like what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I bring it to potlucks because it's you know an infinite supply. It's fun. Right, totally. I get, I got everyone high on poppers the night that Julia Salazar won, so that was fun. Nice. <laughs> Hope that um, doesn't get her in trouble. So to go back to our Kickstarter, we have this... not the worst thing she's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, an, another thing that we are offering. That's one of our stretch goals. So we have a tier. Uh, so we have these like cool merchandise things. Um, you can get a, a sticker or a zine or a poster. You can also pre-order our, our the first issue. We also have a tier of um, emotional labor rewards that are worth like infinitely more. So if you want to give us five hundred dollars. One of us will come to your family's Thanksgiving dinner um, with poppers. Yeah, yeah, with poppers. That's the stretch goal. That's yeah. the stretch goal. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. If it. someone, if someone really wants to give us all of the money we need to print the first issue, will come and destroy your actual oh, family. Mm-hmm. If I had five hundred dollars <laughs> to give you, I would totally go for that one. Yeah. But I hope that somebody does. So yeah. So the most important reward in this whole Kickstarter is obviously the magazine. Yes. Um, can you give us a little preview of what's going to be in the first issue? One of the things I know because I'm writing it and trying to get the pieces into the magazine is that we're going to be working on a piece uh, about Kawasi Balagoon. Um, we're going to be republishing 
some of his pieces. So he has a few pieces that will be in the magazine um, and it will have a foreword by me. Um, Let the listeners know who Kawasi Balagoon is. Kawasi Balagoon was basically um, a new African revolutionary um, that uh, was a part of the Brinks trial. Um, He was a part of the BLA, the Black Panther Party, um, and the new African movement. Um, And the way that um, Kawasi Balagoon is often discussed is in this very masculinist way, Mm. uh, where it's like, oh my God, like he broke out of jail three times and like he was one of the people that set Asada Shakur free and you know he did all this amazing stuff but rarely is his um queerness like brought into his politics mm-hmm. um and it's something where um in the magazine we're gonna go in more in depth about that and also um we're hoping to include uh elegy by judy clark who was just released from prison also a revolutionary uh, that was incarcerated for a number of years and just was released in May 2019. Um, and she has this really beautiful elegy about Kwasi Balagoon where she talks about basically his love for revolution was also tied up in his love for like pornography and um, <laughs> his love for sex and, you know, making love for him could be like, like playing footies under the table, you know? Mm. So it's that very sounds... sensuous. Uh, let's hear about maybe one more article and we can move on to reading the editorial. Totally, yeah. Um, well, you may already have heard from Michelle, but we're on another episode. Oh. So we're, run- we're running this piece that she wrote. Um, so excited about that one. About envisioning the commune, mm-hmm. sort of about social reproduction after the revolution. I think that's going to be a really uh, important piece for a lot of people to read. And there's another mm-hmm. piece that I'm really excited about that another of our editors is writing, um, Lou Cornum. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to talk about it on this uh, this other podcast that I mentioned. So check that out. But this is about the um, the kind of like the use of the tribe in the gay imaginary. A lot of people maybe have um, encountered uh, like settler gays or not straight people too um who kind of like take this this idea of like tribal belonging or um like a kind of like fetishized uh relation to um the land or the mystical or whatever um as a way of kind of like explaining or ratifying or justifying their own sort of slightly off social location within settler society and i think and so lou is writing about obviously saying like that's kind of fucked and writing about the history of gay people who've, who've, who've done this including one of the sort of pioneer uh well that's a uh, yeah it's an apt word uh one of the one of the early gay sort of uh activists this guy named harry hay who was a communist uh organizer who founded something called the mattachine society um and then he fa- was a founder of the radical fairies um he and some of his collaborators were really obsessed with this sort of this figure, this third gender figure that they believed that uh, I guess was um, akin to being gay that was present in a lot of native societies. Anyway, so Lou talks about that, but is basically uninterested in just being like, well, that's really fucked and, and like not, we don't need to think about that anymore because they want to think about how the tribe, because the tribe is actually a living political form currently. Um, so they want to think about how the tribe is a useful space for thinking about what is a decolonial sort of way of relating politically that doesn't have to do with the family and doesn't have to do with the nation. 
Yeah, something like that. But not the Manson family. <laughs> no. no. Yeah, you got to choose your family wisely. That was a patriarchy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He was a fed, right? And it's severely anti We There is a book called Chaos that came out about it that we talked about recently. And it is, uh, they do not, they, that author does not conclude that he was a fed or brainwashed by the feds. But uh. there was some strange things going on. Yeah. But again, listen to our episode 61 about that. Um, well, if, uh, if you're not already sold on Pinko from those the descriptions of the articles that you just heard, um, I know you will be when we, talk, when we read your editorial statement. When I heard this, I was like, this makes perfect sense. Uh, because, you know, sometimes I pick up the, there's like a, a section of queer periodicals, journals, magazines at Blue Stockings, and I pick it up and check it out. But this is like always kind of what I was looking for. And the editorial statement really seals the deal. So I just want to read the whole thing and, you know, we'll talk about it. Um, if there's some stuff that's unclear to us or some stuff we want to elaborate on. Totally. Mm -hmm. Um, should we start with the, uh, statement from Marsha Johnson and friends? Yeah. I was just going to ask if you want to do that. All right. I think we should totally. So this is a statement originally published in gay post May, June of 1975, um, from the gay post collective, which is signed Marsha Johnson, Ralph Hall, Tom Bracken, Flash Storm, and Osiris. Uh, Here we go. We can kind of go around and read it. Uh, We came up with this idea long before we ever heard of other people doing it, though it did become common experience on the hate, as in hate Ashbury. We never tried putting into words before, but if we had to, this is the way it goes. We live by sharing what little we have with those who are needier still. We know that others will do likewise. Call it living by faith if that suits you. Call it whatever you please, but don't knock it. We've seen it in action. We know it works. We've lived by it for years, and we aren't dead yet. Nobody gets rich on it, but nobody starves either. The way it works with us, somehow at the last moment, something comes through when our own need is greatest. Just as when other street people come to us in greater need, we somehow find we just happen what will help them most. Happen to have. Happen happen to have. Sorry, I transcribed it bad. Uh, It's like being part of a river. We pass on to those below us just as we receive from above. The flow continues without end. Someone else want to continue it to the end? Can I go for it, Max? Sure. Uh, Jay-Z Eglinton told us that it is a principle well-known to followers of Western occultism and that it is called living by the law of abundance. It is the same principle that had worked for centuries with Hindu sannyasins, Buddhist bonzes, Muslim fakirs, Jewish schnorers, That's me. Christian monks, street people throughout the hate, and above all, the diggers. The principle didn't stop working uh, when police chief Cahill ran the kids out of the hate, and it won't stop working when we're gone. It will continue to work as long as there are people who believe in it strongly enough to live by it. And it is ultimately what the whole brotherhood idea is all about. <clears throat> the ancient Vikings had a proverb, bear is the brotherless back. We are your brothers and sisters, you are ours, and so it goes on. Only it has to be more than just talk. This is our philosophy and religion. It is our way of life, not something we go to church once a week to be reminded about, and we believe it is a big part of what gay liberation is all about, or should be. That's beautiful. So why did you guys decide to include that at the beginning of your very first issue? So this, that was something that I, 
I found in the uh, when I was just looking through older Gay Liberation era magazines in the New York Public Library, and I saw that it was signed by Marsha Johnson. So obviously, I was like, "Wow, I'd never seen anything like this that she'd written before." I was really curious about it. Um, Gay Post is this like very strange uh, sort of like hand bound magazine that they that they put out. Um, clearly, they, they call themselves Street People. It's clearly about like um, uh, sex workers and, and drag queens and things um, living in the West Village in the 70s who are part of this sort of nascent gay liberation movement. Um, and they're very critical of it. They have an interesting sort of critique of a big national gathering. Um, but anyway, I, I, this was this this really beautiful um, editorial statement that, that I found in one of the issues. And I was like, you know, it's a little. They're they're trying to find words for what they mean. Um, they're they're reaching for all these religious um, traditions, um, but they're like obviously not that com- uh, committed to calling it a religious thing or whatever. We decided what they're talking about is gay communism, basically. That like this is this is what the kind of like material kernel of the liberation movement. Uh, actually rested on was this kind of collective commitment to collective survival and uh, and the way that they articulate it is I think really touching and we wanted to kind of like lift it out of the archive and let people have access to it yeah that's awesome it, it, it seems to me like it reflects a lot of the ideas of mutual aid and collective care that are really important to me personally and to most of the people that I organize with in um in, p- particularly in the caucus that I'm in now, Emerge, which is part of DSA. But not just for survival, because uh, why, why I was excited that they said uh, Schnorrer there mm-hmm. is because that, that's a term in, um, I think it's a Yiddish term, that's a pejorative for someone who shows up to the party kind of just to eat the food and drink some free booze and go oh. about their a way. Mooch. A mooch, yeah. But, uh, but maybe there's like a lot of different words for this in uh, Jewish culture. Right. Um, I would think so. <laughs> Shall, should we continue? But yeah, this, this, this is kind of, it's not just mutual aid it's for survival. It's also for living well and having a good life mm-hmm. despite being totally. marginalized. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not to go back to this earlier uh, topic, but we, we, we don't reject the luxury component of fully automated luxury gay space communism. Believe in automation in the way that those uh, those adherents do, mm-hmm. but we will defend luxury as uh, as the complete embodiment of pleasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah nothing's too good for the working class. Exactly. No, and and you know what? Luxury might mean different things to different people. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a certain kind of of pleasure that uh, it, you can only get by being a schnorrer, <laughs> uh, for example. Sure. Dead ass. It's like, not only am I drinking the best champagne, mm. but I did not pay for it. Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> exactly. for some people, just having free time is a luxury. Sure. For, for probably sure. most people, I would say. Mm-hmm. I look forward to that luxury as a future delight after the rev. Yeah. So, Jasmine, would you like to, to start off with uh, part one of the editorial statement? Sure. As the apocalyptic project of capitalist accumulation staggers on, the past 30 years of crisis have seen the collapse of old worker movements, the suppression of international solidarity and wars for freedom against empire, the Pyrrhic 
never can say that the theoretic rise of gay liberalism and continued mutual miseration and alienation we see this crisis unfolding in the global ecological threat the resurgence of fascism and desperate violent reaction against the decay of a certain delusion of stable family underpinning a social order like the world which it served to bind together heterosexuality is in crisis this is not for the first time, but it may be the last. This crisis is not a passing sex panic, but represents a more fundamental rupture. No one can agree any longer what this world is for. Everybody can feel it. Its pleasures are now uneasy, its hatreds unsure of themselves. And the grim shadow of a biosphere collapse and climate fascism. Who could believe heterosexuality's promises for eternity? Everybody can see the storm coming. Some have already been forced to be the levies, which is something that it, like um, you had previously wrote a line and then I had like had spitball back yeah, and forth so off good. of that. I really like that. Line. Yeah. yeah let, let's talk a little but, bit more about this. because It's a really interesting paragraph. And I do think it's kind of held together by this idea of like everybody can feel it, which is absolutely right. true. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people are threatened by it. Mm-hmm. Some people don't care and are right. just embracing it. But what does it mean that heterosexuality is in crisis? And what do you mean that it's not the first time? Right. It's something where it's interesting because uh, this whole zine went through like various stages of editing, um, bouncing back and forth between Max and I and the other editors, where um, before it actually was like... Um, it's funny because it's like when you're editing you're like forget like kind of like um how time works and you're like oh everything's very immediate like all this stuff has happened but it's something where um we actually brought up the fact that like this is a whole historical timeline um how this stuff has happened where um capitalism has always had to catch up to people uh that were already um kind of in um intention with it already like um you have systems of heterosexuality that have always had to um answer to other forms of sexuality um or other uh gender expressions where it it always like works to um say like oh well we have this like kind of form of like how the family works and how relationships look like but simultaneously we have this contradiction of like being queer or gay um, is something that can only exist in this one spot. And then um, while we also have people that are forced to, like in um, American colonial society, where it's like people that are forced to um, be in unions, like in U.S. straddle slavery, um, regardless of whatever their sexuality or the uh, gender expression is. And it's mm-hmm. always um, at times where um, capitalism like has to counter that, like... Um, specifically with the instance of like um like we were just talking this is like a set i guess this is like kind of a rambling but like um wait no i won't go down that roll well let's let's Blech. read through but, the end uh oh sorry i was gonna get to the how we got to this um it's just something where we just wanted to like kind of draw a um, historical timeline of like mm. these events that have happened um, that have impacted like just like the global economy and like global climate crisis and 
um yeah and how we got to this moment and yeah i think that as a collective we believe that heterosexuality has always been um in crisis um because it always has to reassert itself um as the dominant kind of expression um of yeah i mean it's it's so we're so we have this line that we're saying heterosexual heterosexuality binds the world together Mm -hmm. basically um and i think that that's maybe a stretch in some senses but like the way that we're thinking about heterosexuality is in this kind of expansive way where it's the name for the kind of total social system Mm -hmm. that that governs social both social reproduction and and um and the point of production, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so yeah. I mean, every uh, to your point, like everybody can feel that heterosexuality is in crisis right now. I think, I think, like we've been in this kind of long, like media event of Me Too or whatever. Or not? I'm sorry, that's not. A, it's not a media event, but like not just a media event. But we've been in this long kind of like period since. Uh, 2017 mm-hmm. or whatever uh when um uh sort of like the question of sexual violence that is um kind of uh ineradicable from patriarchal heterosexuality mm-hmm. and we've seen the incorporation of this like in mainstream media mm. um in hollywood like even like places where we work where people are like well why do i have to figure out people's pronouns like mm-hmm. i don't get that yeah. or um like the more normalization of like there are people that are in relationships that are not heterosexual mm-hmm. um and that also are not um into the family form either so um it's just something where you see this kind of proliferation of these like um relationships and how capitalism is trying to catch up to it i mean it's already tried to catch up with like kind of because you see with the me too stuff it was like pretty late in the game with like talking about sexual violence because you saw like the um discussions of sexual violence happening in a lot of like uh lefty spaces Mm -hmm. um because it was like so much that was happening like um from 2011 onward where Mm -hmm. it was like stuff that happened like at occupy at like during blm stuff Mm -hmm. where there were just like relationships that were happening um in instances of like sexual violence that were occurring Mm -hmm. um and so then that just seems like that has been brought up to this higher stage of like in the media where it's like oh actually um this encounter that I had was really violent Mm -hmm. um, and wasn't what I expected. And like also these discussions of like gender, Mm -hmm. that it's not just a weird freaky thing that happens in like political spaces. It's something that happens like in other spaces too. So Mm. I think that's kind of what we're talking about where it's like the seams are starting to burst with the containment of like um, sexuality and um, also this like kind of radical bent to sexuality. Um, against capitalism Mm. so yeah i'll I'll keep reading with a one example of this on the u.s american political stage a moment of the larger crisis the news is an unending snuff film of heterosexuality's public demise the president a little a literal patriarchal capitalist cannot hide his revulsion at the very idea of any woman (laughs) 
His sole achievement in governance, the installation of a judicial majority ready to repeal women's self-ownership, provoked a mass informal sex strike. By all accounts, the televised Kavanaugh hearings provoked more men to question their innocence than any other hashtag MeToo episode. For the first time, heterosexuality seemed to be experienced as a collective personal crisis for heterosexuals as well. In some sense, this is an, an index of the failure of the sexual liberation movement. Heterosexuality is not a personal problem, of course, but a political institution. Queers have all had to pass through the crucible of this problem in our private lives and resolve it through reconciliation with a collective political identity. Inexcusably, perhaps, we have left the offending institution intact. Mm. Yeah, what this brings to mind for me, in part, is the crisis of masculinity that we're also going through right now and the number of mass shooters who have identified as incels and subscribed to this really violent ideology and just have a totally messed up relationship to women and to other people in general, right? Like, I was talking about this on the Majority Report a lot this week. Um, like, the, the idea that all of these old social bonds had been dissolved in these old forms of community. Many of them were very oppressive, right, to both the people inside of them and the people who were excluded from them, such as the bourgeois family, the church, patriarchy, all of that shit. But they did serve a function of keeping people in line. And we need to regrow social bonds in a better way, I think, in a healthier way, and have some kind of uh, secular, non-oppressive, diverse community going forward if we ever want to fix these things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean... I, I feel like those communities already exist. It's just that, like, um, white supremacy has kept white people from those kind of communities where it's, like, um, I think that, you know, the thing about being racialized as white is that you um, are not able to see, like, kind of, like, the different ways that people form relationships, especially as, like, a straight white person. It's, like... um. I don't really care about um, white mass shooters being like incels or whatever. It's like, I think ultimately at the day, at the end of the day, um, the way that they function in the world is that um, to, in order to be white, it means that, um, you know, ultimately that means that everyone that is white also has to die. Like the white family has to also be obliterated. Um, to achieve that kind of goal of the highest expression of whiteness, I think. I think it's on the side of death. Interesting. Mm. Mm. I yeah. guess, yeah, that, like we should be looking towards people who've always been excluded from these forms of community, I think. And that's one thing that I found inspiring about um, Michelle O'Brien's piece in mm. Commune recently mm -hmm. about queer radicalism. and Yeah, junkie communism. Yeah. And, um, I think it was the other one. Yeah, there was two. It was, yeah, it was two. the history of queer oh, right. liberation. Yeah. And right. I imagine that that will be a lot of what your magazine's about. Right, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's move on to number two. Two. Yet new desires, new modes of gender, and new struggles are breaking open. As partisans of queer freedom, we see in the present outlines of rebellion a linking of sexual freedom and queer potential with the real movement to abolish the present order of things. 
That sounds familiar. The inherited language of the sexual liberation movement, which sought freedom from a productive regime which no longer exists, does not help us here. We need new words sufficient to speak both of the limits and potential of our time. In today's struggles over the conditions of gender and labor, we see the signs of a new queer communist horizon. The collective self-determination of gender will be a revolutionary achievement of the highest order. Gender is currently where the work of class reproduction gets naturalized. Though it is experienced as deeply personal, as the essence of personhood even, it is one of the central mass political experiences in capitalist society. Gender is imposed, stabilized, and reproduced through a material infrastructure distributed across the social, in private places like the family or sexual intimacy, and public places like the street, and in moments like access to the labor market and in relation to sexual violence. To be free to live out gender however we want means to be free of the fear of violence that guards these places and moments, to be free of the need to work for someone else to reproduce our lives, to be free of class society. Actually, I'm going to stop it right here because I have a question. Uh So for some people, I think it might be a bit of a leap to say, um, in order to be free to live out our gender, we also have to be free from capitalism, basically. So can you unpack that a little and kind of explain the connection there? Gender, as we experience it currently under the actually existing, the currently existing capitalist system of gender, is given meaning through things like access to the labor market, access to safety or exposure to violence or exposure to certain kinds of overall like coercion coercion yeah Yeah. totally and so even if you were to say like i have like um gone through whatever kind of like personal journey that i need and i've arrived at the like truest expression of uh of my gender i still for that to be meaningful i still that still requires um the meaning to flow through those uh labor relations and access and exclusion from violence and uh and work right is that does that clear that up at at all a little bit (laughs) because like this is also a connection that i'm always trying to make so i want to hear how other people answer it because it's not always readily apparent to people yeah like because couldn't couldn't capitalism continue under conditions of gender anarchy like i feel like we've made a lot of progress um and I, i mean i believe in order to fully honor the progress and like the rights of everyone to fully live and express themselves we do have to end capitalism Mm -hmm. but i want to hear your you guys' take yeah i mean that's sometimes a critique that gets leveled against uh trans people right is that like well surely neoliberalism just uh is like just eager to grant your desire to uh live as you want right because that's like that's this kind of like uh thing that doesn't really have anything to do with political economy or whatever right but it doesn't really save like black trans women from dying in the world that we exist in now Mm. it's everywhere i think that you know um just to talk about my favorite chapter in capital the working day where it's like something where um basically um 
the chapter is about like kind of like how the body exists in capitalism and how it gets destroyed by it. And I think that that's something about gender where gender ultimately is um, a policing tactic on the body uh, to destroy your potential of what you could really be in the world that um, isn't um, ruled by capitalism. And it's something where kind of thinking about what are the kind of expressions bodily that you can experience um, within communism, the possibilities are infinite. Um, and I think that basically what we're trying to say here is that capitalism ultimately, um, you know, stifles you um, and will continue to stifle you. You know, it, you can have like um, whatever boxes on like um, a job like form you want that says mm-hmm. like, oh, trans, like, cool. Like, but it's like ultimately at the end of the day, that's used to surveil you. So it's something where I think that's what we're trying to get to in mm-hmm. here. We're ultimately to get to this higher place of freedom. Like you need to destroy class society. That makes sense to me. So yeah. you want to continue uh, reading this part, Max? Sure. Yeah. This moment of popular gender struggle is missing a communist perspective. Gender relations are not natural, but historical. They're tied to, to cycles of accumulation and crisis and the political struggle against them. The current gender regime is the index of a particular configuration of class power. We can provisionally describe it as partially liberated, that is, characterized by formal or nominal freedom to relate to the reproduction of class society in a voluntary way, while nonetheless maintaining the entire coercive social infrastructure required to ensure it takes place no matter what. The sexual or gender freedom we possess is nothing but the freedom to reproduce the current social order. We believe struggles against the current order are simultaneously struggles against gender. Likewise, gender struggles at their limit are struggles to overthrow existing society. We take as a starting point the revolutionary nature of past movements for gender and sexual liberation, though we do not approach them uncritically. The movements which are our inheritance were struggles against a particular configuration of class power which no longer obtains. The family and the workplace have undergone a profound transformation in the past 50 years. The horizons which sexual liberationists were pursuing are now in some ways our ground. While many of the battles we are fighting now have past analogs, what we need most now is not only the defense of older horizons of gender freedom, but the courage to imagine new ones. Mm. So to me, this is, you know, a very familiar theme in the history of revolutionary struggle uh, particularly marx talks about this quite a bit the you know the the best reference i can think of is on the jewish question but he also makes similar comments on the haitian revolution mm-hmm. which is this idea that there's this uh, initial struggle to liberate yourself just as a citizen just to, to be recognized as a person amongst other people but then once you've once you've reached that point once you've reached that ground as you put it um what's the next struggle? It's, it's something more universal. And so, th- I mean, this is like the main critique of like struggling as a queer person or a, a, based on any identity group is, are you just trying to liberate your group or to bring your group to the halls of power? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously there are people who are in that fight. Like that, now that's just the reality. And now they're, now it's time to organize for the next stage. Yeah. Is that more or less correct? Yep. So the the early the early liberationists weren't talking about everybody like everybody has the same rights necessarily. What they what they wanted to do was destroy the sanction on sort of like 
homosexual pleasure or whatever, which they believed that everybody was more or less um, uh, open to. Um, and not because they wanted everybody to adopt their sort of like political identity, but because they wanted it to fade away. They wanted it to become an irrelevant and meaningless category in the same way that you might like, um, I mean, what's, what's a defunct category now? Like, like who, like, um, it would cease to be an identity, right? Like, yeah. Like, um, I'm reading sex at dawn by Christopher Ryan right now. Okay. And he lays out the anthropological framework for a kind of primitive communism, actually. But among other things, um, he shows that the apes that we're most closely related to um, are not just the chimps. It's also the bonobos. And they're like super horny. Mm-hmm. And they all like sit around and jack each other off. And it's like not a big deal. And early humans, for most of our existence, until the advent of agriculture, was, which was really, really recently, um, everyone would just like have sex with each other and it wasn't a big deal and like they do gay stuff they do straight stuff like mm. whatever and uh i don't know i feel like maybe we would like to get back to that in the future yeah I think and it will. was like a way will. to reinforce yeah. social bonds it wasn't just like right oh i'm gonna find someone on tinder and have meaningless sex with you sure. it was like people in the community would have multiple partners and that would help them to cohere and like yeah. be together relatively recent as a historical phenomenon. And it took mm-hmm. a lot of, um, it took a lot of coercive state action actually to achieve it. Um, and it was in the name of producing a, a productive working class basically. And to the extent that that is no longer a central kind of like, um, undertaking of the state, uh, you find that, voluntary ways of relating to that they sort of cling to the family as like a lost sort of haven or whatever or they try to kind of like serially reproduce like a different version of these like state-imposed identities or whatever but i guess what we're gesturing towards in this thing about the horizons is that we think that it's these are kind of defunct questions at this point um and the state isn't going to come back to prop up the family the fascist state might certainly they're but, trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're certainly trying, right? And so, and exactly, yeah, exactly. So, so that's one of the reasons why I think this is a, an important project for uh, us to be doing right now on the left is that the left is actually quite vulnerable to uh, fascist arguments about shoring up the uh, the stability of the family as a kind of like reproducer of labor power um, on behalf of what people quite rightly um, associate with the family, which is safety. Uh, some people have that luxury and belonging financial not, security financial security or whatever um, but uh, there needs to be a left position that's coherent about why this is unworkable oh I totally agree with you about that also I've been getting in a lot of arguments with people lately who identify as like normie socialists or whatever mm-hmm. and this is something that I had cited to me as recently as today right <laughs> surveys saying that most normal people, whatever the fuck that means, in this country are socially uh, moderate or even center-right and economically to the left. So we shouldn't harp on things like LGBT rights. We should only focus on stuff like Medicare for All that helps every single person, and that's how we're going to win. And what they usually define as winning is in the electoral sphere. So right now, the big one is Bernie Sanders. And I just feel like that's so myopic. 
Yeah, that's boring. Yeah, it's that's, like irrelevant. That's not politics. <laughs> that's not. It's like that's why are so you? What are you? I mean, I think part of that argument is this conception that sexual liberation just won. Like, we won the culture war. It's okay Mm -hmm. to be gay. Uh Let's pretend that's true, which is not, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, It's okay to be gay if you're rich, for sure. But Mm -hmm. um, it was within our lifetimes that sodomy was was illegal on a a federal level, right? Or maybe maybe just in certain states. I remember when the Supreme Court ruled. And, yeah, yeah, what kind of, like, the exact sex that you like to have should not be, like, the basis of your politics, but sodomy doesn't just mean anal sex or gay sex. Mm-hmm. It means any kind of non P and V marital sex. So is that, I mean, is that relevant to normal people that they're committing a right. crime every time they have oral sex? I, I think it probably <laughs> is. And the idea, like this reactionary idea that we need to go back to how things were right. before this culture war against the uh, the gay agenda or people who want to take down the family or something. This is literally people just saying, you can't have the sex you like to have, even to mm-hmm. people who consider themselves straight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, like most people have experienced like sexual violence um, and haven't like ever experienced like an actual healthy relationship. I would say that's like really normal for normal people <laughs> like that. Like kind of right. say the that kind of thing where it's like yeah well why would you want to have sex when sex is pain and sex is like misery and i think that that's something where a lot of quote unquote normal people experience where it's like if you're already coming from a place where like sex is ultimately about domination um and force then yeah like you don't even understand what sex is and i think that even like existing under capitalism like uh and white supremacy where like sex is like framed in that way where it is something where um it is not about um mutual pleasure it's about um i'm going to uh place my will upon you and you're going to lie prone yeah, and that's kind the of thing so mm-hmm. i think that's something where you know whatever this person was saying to you jamie and andy where you're coming from is like i think that is the norm you know that Everything is about sex except sex. That's the basis of why a lot of people who feel like they're entitled to sex, Mm -hmm. maybe more Mm -hmm. than others, are mad that they can't have it. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. to them, it's all about exchange value and who deserves Mm -hmm. it. It's their right. Mm -hmm. And they they deserve it, but like society is kind of fucked up or skewed in some way because of the SJWs or cultural Marxists. So they can't have it. Yeah. Uh, because they, because they, they, they have this totally mythic conception about what sex is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, if you're like raised to be like a straight white man, then it's like the world is your oyster, and then you find out like actually it's not. Then mm-hmm. you know your shit is totally blown. Um, and you know what? I think that a lot of white men need to catch up. Like that's like kind of a lot of like white straight men like just need to catch up. I think it's like something where it's like you, it's funny you look on Tinder. I haven't been on Tinder in years, but it's like something where you look on Tinder and then it's like looking for a unicorn. And it's like something there's always the couple form that's like mm-hmm. seeking this out, this experience of like what will it be like to have gay sex? Uh-huh. Well, let's um, not knock uh, couple seeking unicorns, okay? This is a it's, but it is for, uh, but it is something that happens. Desires. It is something where it's like a couple that does like not like queer couples. I'm talking about like um, straight couples that are looking for unicorns and that are like, we want to experience what it means to have 
this mythical gay sex like what is it and i think that that is a thing that's like a really big prevalent thing that has happened in like the past few years with like kind of this kind of commodification of like you know sexuality and um relationships so i also wanted to ask you what you mean by struggles against gender um what you say here we believe struggles against the current order are simultaneously struggles against gender um because i've heard from a lot of different perspectives of people who want to abolish gender some people i like sylvia federici's line that she doesn't want to abolish gender she wants to make more genders right Uh there could be like every person has their own gender their own gender expression um what does it mean to struggle against gender so we were talking about struggles against gender as kind of shorthand for struggles against the current configuration of the capitalist gender system, which means there are binary genders, there, there are two genders, and then there's some exceptions, maybe. Um, and, and these genders um, attain their social meaning, like I said, through um, the labor market, basically, and whether or not you, uh, like, how you relate to social reproduction, and it and it like has I mean this is like a very reductive abstract way of categorizing it but like kind of like a lot of things flow from there um, and so the so that's why we say that struggles against gender are simultaneously struggles against the social order is like if you are a person who is trying to um, uh, end or abolish um, the way that you are. Uh, exposed to sexual violence in your workplace because of your job, that is a struggle simultaneously against gender and the social order, which requires you to uh, trade your freedom for, or trade your time for um, uh, money in the workplace, right? At pain of death. That makes sense. Jasmine, do you have an answer for that? Or should we move on? We should move on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So next is an interesting definition of heterosexuality. Heterosexuality. By heterosexuality, meaning the total social regime which upholds both productive and reproductive labor through the system of colonial gender. Heterosexuality is the political project that just that asks us to police the body and our desires as it has done with nature, in which it sequesters a social co- the social cost of production as pollution, disease, and extinction. Ooh, can you explain that last part? That's interesting. Yeah, the last part is basically talking about like how um, ultimately like what we are seeing now uh, within uh, the, like climate change. Well, climate crisis is what they say that you should actually call it. But um, ultimately, like what we see there uh, also is how um, capitalism has like um, acted upon the body or like human bodies as well. Um, and I guess if we also want to talk about animals like also with the extinction of animals and yeah i just read it again i think i understand it better now yeah the social costs of production our they're they're like foisted on our bodies right as Mm -hmm. pollution disease Mm -hmm. and extinction yeah like infinite growth on a finite planet is bound to have some negative consequences for us Mm -hmm. yes yep exactly Okay, so I'll move on to the last section, section three. 
These freedoms will be discovered in the course of struggle. We don't presume to dictate them in advance, but part of the work of that struggle will be the creation of new language and new concepts with which to grasp capitalist sexual and gender relations. A journal is a crucial tool in this regard. By providing a public platform for sustained theoretical engagement with the problems posed by gender struggles against capitalism, we can assemble an audience and furnish it with resources for this fight. We can subject these struggles to comradely critique, conduct workers' inquiries and enrich community knowledge of our material location in capitalist society, and we can resurrect texts from older traditions of the struggle which we believe can aid us in our liberation today. So, yeah, we talked earlier about, uh, we, we read the, the Marsha Johnson statement earlier, and the, uh, we talked about the Kwasi Balagoon stuff, mm-hmm. bringing that back, not as purely this armed guy, but, you know, a queer, mm-hmm. a queer person. Uh, so that resurrection, that, um, and then also you're going to say you're going to do workers' inquiries. Like, what, what would that, what might that look like in, in Pinko context? Um, yeah, so the workers' inquiries that we do have are um, these interviews that our our co-editor uh, Michelle has been conducting under the um, aegis of this other project that she works for called the Trans Oral History Project, um, and it's interviews with these kind of like veterans of the trans movement. Um, I think Miss Major is one of them. Mm-hmm. Cecilia Gentili, who is the leader of uh, Decrim NY mm-hmm. right now. Um, and, um, uh, it's, yeah, it's basically talking with older trans women about, uh, the work that they did and the way that they were able to, um, survive in a different kind of, uh, in a different gender regime, like we're talking about, um, in a sort of past configuration of gender when violence, um, maybe was more acute on the street or maybe was less, um, depending on, you know, um, where you found yourself, if you're able to kind of like provide yourself protection or not. Um, Finish it out here. Yeah. All right. We don't undertake this project out of a concern for representation or to simply assert the radical essence of queer political forms. Precisely the opposite. In fact, we believe the more self-regarding elements of queer desire for absolution share a view with the fascists of the queer as a kind of born disruptor of natural law. This is not our analysis. Whatever power we exercise derives from our capacity for organizing collective experience. And it is this capacity that we have faith in, not our luck to have found this particular way of relating to pleasure. But every struggle against capital must take a particular shape, and we will only find out what this shape is by pushing the struggle to its limit. At the moment, a wealth of thinking, organizing, surviving, and living in ways tending toward gender freedom, that is, classless society, exists dispersed throughout the social field. We humbly propose a publication for the aim of assembling it into fighting form. Boom. So I, I think this is a good way to close that. That's a good paragraph to close it out because, you know, uh, ju- just judging from being in New York and seeing the um, the Pride Parade every year is like the largest event of the year. I think maybe the Caribbean Day Parade is larger, but West Indian Day Parade. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the West Indian Parade. Do you, do you think it's no? I think Pride's probably bigger than that at this point, right? I don't really know. I don't They're know. both in the millions. But anyway, the point is, this is like a mass uh, manifestation of yeah. something. Yeah. And obviously, it's domesticated under capital in a lot of ways, and it's very accepted, and the, the police really go out of the way to show that they support it and such. But 
it's not it's not even like a minor undercurrent that sees a problem with this. It is inherent to it that there is this discontent with um, heteropatriarchy, and that's like a big part of what uh, people who attend this parade believe. Mm. Not all of them, but it's you know it's a politicized movement in certain ways. And perhaps it's moving in the direction of being less political, or perhaps it isn't, you know, depending on your perspective. And the question is, um, how, how do you make this into something that's actually willing to fight and not just something that wants to represent itself? And then also in the previous paragraph, how, how does it represent itself now that it's no longer just this abomination, this like thing that disrupts the natural order, as you put it, but something that's, you know... Ha- has its own natureness to it or is not like necessarily something oppositional to what's nature natural, which is heterosexuality. How does it express itself as something that's, that's willing to change not just the life, the lifestyles of certain people, but the world in general. So these are like, I think crucial questions, right? Yeah. I think, like I said before, like these forms already exist, um, in these kind of communities where it's like, um, I think that people are trying to catch up to it and trying to co-opt it in like a a way where it's like, oh, like, look at this. Like, let's do that. But like in this way where it isn't about um, community building or world building together, it's something where like uh, mutual aid has already existed in those communities and continue to exist. Like because it's something where uh, in the recent years and like the past 40 years, I mean, the AIDS crisis had happened at that same exact time and you have people that have died and then have grown up in that um, and that hasn't diminished like the amount of gay people that live in the world or gay or queer people that live in the world is actually you see now that there is now this openness to like embrace like um, queer and gay people um, but especially only if they are into being um, tokenized so something I think that basically the ending of this pinkozine is to fight against that um, tokenization of like being put into this like mainstream category of what um, queerness is identified as now. Do you think that there's a way to draw on those communities and their social formations to like actually organize the working class maybe into something that's capable of overthrowing capitalism? Yeah, I think it has before, and I think it has the potential to do so now. I mean, like, for example, um, the article that the articles that we'll have published by Kwasi Balagoon, I mean, he organized like rent strikes and sent like mail, like letters with dead rats in it to landlords and did all of this in the Bronx. I mean, even like the Lincoln Hospital takeover happened in the 70s, and that's something where that was not just like, um, you know, just it wasn't like they did it for the hell of it. They did it because like they saw that the community was like um, in turmoil and Lincoln Hospital still sucks. But it's something where like that pushing against that, it was like something where um, those institutions were forced to reckon with that. And I think that that's what we imagine, like uh, what revolutionary um queerness is like that's what the project now like that's the task at hand for us like for everybody where it's like what does it mean to struggle um in like the embodiment of like queerness 
So it's just Sape where it's like one of the most interesting like political formations that have existed like during our time is Black Lives Matter. And that was all created by black queer women. I don't think it's a coincidence and I don't think it's chance that it was like three black queer women that were like, you know, like we should have this like movement be called Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. As the state kind of withdraws its protection for more and more people or sort of concentrates its protection in a particular kind of family, um, I think more people are going to be in need of a way of doing social reproduction, of caring for themselves and keeping each other alive uh, in ways that don't have to do with the family. Um, And I think that one of the great gifts of the sort of gay liberation movement or the queer movement is to have a really rich, articulate body of non-family sort of kin relations um, that work on the question of social survival in the face of um, like abandonment by the state and queers are not the only people um, with this experience, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that sort of the critique that I think is kind of like growing or assembling itself right now. And one of the reasons why I think it's useful to have a, a, a magazine to kind of like bring it together. There's a lot of people right now um, thinking more seriously about the relation between property and the relation uh, between sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and the political upshot of that is like kind of unclear actually. Um, but I think that it is about to become really inventive because people are going to find themselves in really kind of desperate uh, moments. And I think that uh, we need to be ready on the left um, to kind of respond to that with uh, an understanding of what we're looking at. You had came up with that idea of Pinko because you were like, you know, it's all this stuff that has happened in the past and it's like kind of like this thing where it just kind of all of a sudden stops. And then like now we see this like big resurgence that's kind of reminiscent of like the past, like Mm. of like 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, like, uh, and then kind of like, how now we're at this moment where people are kind of like bored of like kind of what is available. And I think that people are starting to think of a way where they're thinking outside of the current definitions of what does it mean to, you know, um, have a life that's worth living, you know? And I think that the, you know, gay radical traditions like has its arms open. It's like an option um like multiple traditions have been like i think an option to like look into of like like being queer you're always thinking of like kind of a ancestral like lineage like that isn't related through blood mm. but um through like intellectual like history um or political like struggle mm-hmm. and i think that um i think that people are looking for that like they're kind of trying to figure out where they kind of fit in like uh historically and i think that's the interesting thing i think that it's a historical question now mm-hmm. for people and i think that's something that we're we're circling around at the end of the statement is this maybe it's sort of a tension between the kind of inherent community that you have amongst your tribe or chosen family or 
queer friends or what have you. Mm. Um, and then the concept of like a revolution of changing society or the world. And this is something that you have sort of tacked on at the end here with another definition, uh, like your definition of heterosexuality, but a definition of communism. And um, as much as I appreciate you helping me out, understanding a lot of this editorial statement, there's a word in here I need some help with. Uh, similar to the word John, communism is as much of an event as it is an action or embodiment of being against the fascist state in every sense of the word. It is the act and the action of getting to a place and time where we can relationally experience mutual intimacy and respect. Gay communism is the pro the proliferation of life and pleasure against the regimes of property, race, and empire. So for us, not from uh, Philadelphia, mm -hmm. what is John? John and is a noun. It's a person, place, or thing. And I said that I was not into self-promotion, but um, it's funny because I like thought of the, this uh, definition of communism based off of your like you had started on a definition of wait no you did it you I'm were right. working on heterosexuality and queer yeah and communism um i had i was drawn to drafting a um a paragraph for it because um in my book don't let them see me like this from nightboat um i have wrote this line like communism is a place that we could get to and it's something where um, because I'm so smart. I was like, let me just write this thing about communism because I think that it's something where, like, similar to the word John, like, uh, it's a person, place, or thing. And, like, kind of the embodiment of communism is something that, like, we should be striving towards, like, whether that's the place that we should get to, um, whether that's, like, the personage, like, that we want to embody, which you know, is limited. Of course, I don't want to be like, oh, you should just call yourself a communist and that's it at the end of the day. Um, and then the thing that you want, like the thing that you imagine, that's the thing that you desire. Um, and I think that's what we should desire as like queer communists. I understand the communist definition, mm -hmm. but you're not helping me out with the John definition. I said it's a person, place, or thing. John is, I'll, I'll explain it to you. Um, people from Philadelphia, John is a word that they can use in place of literally any noun. It's a person, place, or thing. So like, you know how Sean and I will refer to different things as meows that are not in any way related to cats? It's like that. Could you use it? Could you give an example of how you would use it? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave this, John. <laughs> it's time to end this, John? Time to end sure. this, Exactly. Right, yeah. But does that mean... That is like a pejorative. Like, is that bad? No, no, it's. I'm telling you, like, you know what a noun is. Like, it's a person, yeah. place, or thing. You, you're overthinking this, Andy. Yeah, okay. you could you can use it to replace any noun that you want. I'm yeah. not sure. I totally get it. How that is like, the same I'm... as communism, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, communism like is Max a noun. Is a so. Like, I'm sitting uh, next to the straw. It's okay. It's black slang. I know it's difficult. Do you know where it comes from? <laughs> um, my um, idea of where it comes from is that it's based off the sex worker sling of John. Like, um, oh, like John. a John. Oh, yeah, okay. like you were... Because it's so many... So Max um, is a John. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
Yeah, because it's like so many, so much slang in Philly is based off sex worker slang. Uh, like being out of pocket, like is basically like someone's just. I keep thinking in Philly slang, um, but someone's just like you know doing the most, um, just like rude, and you're just like, wow, that drone is out of pocket, and it's like. Out of pocket is like historically a sex worker term because it is like when you are um, taking over someone else's john and you are taking money out of another sex worker's pocket. Or if you have a pimp, you're taking uh, money out of your pimp's pocket if uh, you are, I didn't know that. you know, so that's another Philly term out of pocket well that's with any luck, we're going to take over this entire john mm-hmm. because we deserve it. Mm hmm. And then we're gonna have full Johnism. I don't know. I fucked that up. Can we <laughs> yeah. can we say John? Is that okay? You're not from Philly, so no. We can't say it. No. All right. <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> I'll bleep it out. I'll bleep out the gamer. <laughs> bleep it out when you say it, and I'll just say John. Okay. I've been to Philly many times, but I'm not from there. As a person from West Philly, well, my mom would say I'm from North Philly, but can as I be a an honorary that, John? No. Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) No. Well, never mind. You're my friend. You can be that. I wish there was some East Williamsburg slang I could deny (laughs) you. (laughs) There's all this stuff in New York. You're bugging. Like Brick? It's brick. Do you say brick in Philly? It's mad. No, just say... We got that one. It's cold. I don't think we say (laughs) brick. No. You they say, say it's, you John. Drawn. it's John out today. Like how you say... You can say this John you, is cold, uh-huh. right? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, nothing. like, you know how in New York y'all have, like, you bugging? But uh-huh. in Philly, it's um, you drawing. Oh, drawing? You drawing. Wow. Philadelphia is not that far, and yet it feels far sometimes, because mm. I have never heard that before, ever. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well... I think we can end this. Uh, I'm going to say end this meow because that's the <laughs> word that I use to replace all that's nouns because the cats have broken my brain. Oh. Uh, thank you so much for coming, you thank guys. Thank you. Jasmine, you good? I'm fine. I'm just sitting here. You good? I'm- <laughs> you good, Max? Good that's like a new, that's New York slang, right? You good? Oh. You good? <laughs> no, because in Philly, like when you say you good, it is not, it's not a good thing. So that's why I was like, I'm just sitting here. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. I think you go, did is like it could go either way here. Like, yeah, like, yeah. do we have a problem? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> like, what's up? Do we have a fucking you problem? This is yeah, now. they yeah, say wow. that in Philly. It's because like the way you say it in Philly, it's like you don't know what's gonna happen next. <laughs> what's the, what's the more positive New York slang we can end this on? Oh my god, I have mm. no idea. I'm so tired. <laughs> mm. All right. Um, Let's about... go to the bay and say this was hella fun. This was hella fun. I'm from the bay. <laughs> yeah, this, you was, this was hella fun, you guys. Thank you. All right. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> we can we can appropriate someone else's slang together, right? And it'll be like a bonding experience. Yes. The bay has more bo- like posy slang. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pa- pa- they posy would. is posy is like is that Calgary. from the bay or is it? From... I feel like that's California. That I don't know. Posy is from posy. the New York hardcore scene. Is it? It's gotta be. Yeah, <laughs> don't take that away from us. Just kidding. I want we'll everyone to have it. It's fine. Yeah. So yeah, everyone go to kickstarter.com slash pinko. Or pinko.online, which is our website. And uh, check it out. Give them your money. Get the zine. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, the end. She like five one, honey, hella fine, low key, shorty mad woe. That's the shit we on, looking natural, self love, it's a good thing. Smell like aloe, cocoa butter and some good game. Lily John, she like five one, honey, hella fine, low key, shorty mad woe. That's the shit we on, looking natural, self love, it's a good thing. Smell like aloe, cocoa butter and some good game. Early morning, social Sunday brunch getting dressed calm and cozy cause tomorrow she gotta get the check he's mimosa veggie rapping but she ain't vegan yet skin is popping she been eating better and drinking less yeah hey she don't entertain nobody that is not real hey got me in my bag cause she matching my chill hey she ain't for the drama she ain't with the shit but if a shorty press her, she be with the shit. She said I'm something special. I said that mean a lot. I said I like your crown. She said how could you not? She laughing, tell me thank you. Said I appreciate you. And you let me be myself. And then you stay the same you. Girl, you different and I don't say that like I'm trying to fuck you. You'll give a weak nigga trouble. He won't know what to do. She said, yo, listen, I knew that before you did in. That's why I'm so fucking picky. Be happy I fuck with you cause I'm a Philly John. Like 5-1, I am hella fine. Low key, I'm mad, whoa. That's the shit I'm on. Looking natural, self-love. It's a good thing. Smell like